This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Over the past few years, one thing that I have really noticed is that so many of us, prior to living the one thing, we're living a life by default. We're waking up, checking email, checking social media, reacting to whatever we see there, getting ready, heading to the office, opening our computers, checking email, reacting to whatever we see there, sitting in meetings, getting out, checking email, going to the next meeting. And this repeats day after day after day. We are so busy. And we wonder why we don't feel like we're getting anything done. And that's living a life by default, getting what you get. This idea of shifting from living a life by default to living a life by design. Casting a vision for what you actually want for your life someday from now. And based on that, goal setting to the now, identifying where would you need to be five years to feel like you're on track for your someday. And then based on that, what would you need to accomplish this year to be on track for your five year? And once you know that, what are the priorities you got to focus on this month to be on track for your year? What do you have to accomplish this week to be on track for your month? The person you are going to meet today has gone on a long road filled with many, many failures. And you will hear that one thing that he had, this vision of what he wanted life to look like, allowed him to turn his failures into some of the biggest keys to his success. Today, he is the CEO of O2E Brands. It stands for Ordinary to Exceptional. They own companies like 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They do over $400 million a year in business. And as the CEO, he doesn't check email on weekends. He doesn't work on Fridays. In fact, he takes eight weeks a year for vacation. And when he goes on vacation, he goes dark, radio silent. Today, we're gonna dive into how it all began, the failures he encountered along the way, the lessons that he learned, and the specific things that you can do so you can begin saying yes to yourself, saying yes to your one thing, and how you can start saying no to everything else that truly is a distraction. With that, let's get into this conversation with CEO of O2E Brands and the author of WTF, Willing to Fail, How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success, Brian Scudamore. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So let's let's go back to early Brian. You know, it seems like you had this entrepreneurial DNA in you at a at a young age, but where did your journey really begin? So my grandparents had an army surplus store in San Francisco. I used to go work there every summer vacation, every Christmas holiday, and I'd go hang out in their store and just watch them what felt like to me playing the game of business. It felt like a game, ringing the cash register, helping customers, seeing people smile. And it lit my entrepreneurial spark where I thought, one day, that's what I want to do. And I thought I would probably end up running my grandparents' store. And when my grandparents passed away and my grandfather passed away at about when I was 17, I was a little too young to take over the store. And so unfortunately, they closed it down. But I couldn't get that entrepreneurial bug out of my system. I did everything from running car washes as a kid where I'd set up a little neighborhood car wash at a price mm-hmm. war with my my competitor slash neighbor across the street, all sorts of learning about marketing and selling at a at a real young age. And I knew that entrepreneurship was in my blood. That's cool. So we fast forward. Where did the idea for 1-800-GOT-JUNK come from? I was in a McDonald's drive through of all places. I was contemplating, what was I going to do for work? work that would relate to paying for college. My friends had all been accepted into university and college. And there was Brian Scudamore, a high school dropout, one course short. And I was in that drive-through and I saw a pickup truck in front of me with plywood side panels built up on the box. The truck was heaped over with junk. It said Mark's hauling on the side. And I looked at the truck and that was my aha moment of, wow, I should go buy a truck, haul junk. That will be how I'll pay for college. So $700 later, I had my own truck, $300, the rest of my life savings went to flyers, business cards, and off I went. And the company at the time was called the Rubbish Boys. It was really just me, but I wanted to sound like I had something bigger than just me. I had a vision. <laughs> and off I went to, uh, to grow a business, which ironically, that business, three years into college, inspired me to drop out. I was learning so much more about business by running a business. And it's funny because I had dinner with my father last night who is a a very successful liver transplant surgeon. And we were reminiscing about the early days because I remember I sat my dad down and I said, dad, I got some good news for you. He sits down, says, what is it? And I said, I'm dropping out of college. And he said, how is that good news? And I said, (laughs) I'm I'm leaving school to become a full-time junk man because I'm learning so much more running a business versus studying about it in school. And he said, that doesn't sound like a good decision. And we we agreed to disagree until, you know, years and years later, he said, you know, Bri, proud of you. You did make the right decision. I'm curious, when we go back to college age, Brian, when you think about your your goals and your aspirations for your life, what were some of the things that you maybe hoped that possibly one day that could be a reality? But deep down, you weren't really sure you could get there. Yeah. So to me, it's interesting. If I reflect back, and, and that's a great question because you're getting me thinking back to uh, a point where, you know, who was I? What, what was I about? I was definitely one of those kids that said, oh, I'm going to have a Porsche by 30. I want to be hanging out on Wall Street. I used to love the 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 movie Wall Street. And, and it was one of those things where I'm like, man, just playing the game of business seems cool. 
But what I realized, I think, as I started to grow my own business, that what drove me and motivated me was never the money. Um, you know, today we've got a $370 million company in 1-800-GOT-JUNK and $444 million if you take all four of our brands. But I drive a little Toyota pickup truck. I've got, you know, a ski cabin. I've got, you know, little things, but nothing big, nothing that I go, wow, I've always wanted to be about have, you know, I never did get that Porsche. I never had, I've never had a fancy car and never will because I understand, stood that what motivated me was time with my family and time with my business family, with the entrepreneurs that are a part of O2E Brands. Our company, O2E Brands, stands for Ordinary to Exceptional. And my whole purpose is to help drive helping people build a, a better life, not just a, a bigger living. How can we have fun together while making money, while growing a business? And that's what our mm-hmm. franchise owners do. So it's funny how my how things shifted. You know, I, I watch Wall Street and I go, what a scumbag. You know, like I, I watch that movie now and I'm just like, oh, who would ever want to be like that guy? But it's funny as a kid, I think I was, I, I had believed that, wow, you know, I want money. I want things. I want opportunity. But things shifted. Yeah. So I, I want to give people kind of a sense of what life looks like for you today so that then we can dive into the journey and frankly, the failures that you had to go mm-hmm. through to make this your reality. So you mentioned 400 plus million dollar business a year. It's all about taking people from ordinary to exceptional, striking counterbalance. Help us understand, what does your work life look like? How many hours are you working a week? What does vacation look like? So there's there's two different answers I'm going to give you about what my life looks like. The last 90 days after having written a book and getting out there doing the PR tour, the pendulum has swung a little out of away from center. I'm definitely busier over this last 90 days than I have been in a long time. I've been on the mm-hmm. road nonstop. I've I've spent more time away from home than at home. But I've also realized that these periods of life they happen where things do go off center. How do you consciously remember what's important to you and pull things back? So we do make some sacrifices, but this was a very short-term one because as of next month, my travel schedule is completely back to a, a normal level. So back to normal, Brian, where am I typically when I'm not launching a book? Mondays, I work out of the office. I go work at coffee shops. You know, I'll often move from one coffee shop to another and I'm just putting on my headset and I'm focusing on catching up with email. I'm focused on strategy and thinking and what does the future look like. But I'm doing it away from the office where there's no distractions. Because on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm in the office. I'm in meetings. My schedule's jammed back to back to back where I get to connect with people and help move the business forward and have exciting conversations and solve problems. And then Friday is my free day. Friday is a day to pull kids out of school and go skiing, or perhaps there's a, you know something fun I want to do, some sport, go for a bike ride or, or skiing with friends, or spend the day going to the market and getting a bunch of fun stuff and making dinner for the, the family. But it's a day for me or for me and my family to connect and be away from business. So I'm not checking emails on Fridays. I'm not checking emails on the weekend. And that Monday to Thursday... It's just that hardcore heads down focus during the day to get more done in in less time. And then talk to us about vacation. How much vacation are you taking on an annual basis? 
I'm taking about eight weeks, maybe a little bit more. It depends on the mm-hmm. year. And so what I do is over the Christmas holidays for three weeks, I go dark and I'll explain that. And five weeks in the summer, I, I generally uh, will take a period where I'll go completely dark. Now, going dark for me is, I think all of us are have a little bit of addiction to our smartphones, social media, email, and so on. So my trick is I get my assistant, Jennifer, to change my passcode on my email and on my social media. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. But you know what? It's the only thing that works for me. So when I go away, so last summer I was in Kenya helping to build a school with 10 different people from O2E Brands. And then I went to uh, Spain and France with the family. I did not check email, not once for five weeks. And I couldn't if I wanted to. I didn't check social media. I went completely dark. And it is the most rejuvenating, uh, joyous thing in the world. Because when I'm sitting down with my friends or my kids, they're not saying, hey, dad, put down your phone. Hey, dad, can you just listen to me for a minute? I'm focused. I'm in the moment. I'm enjoying life with them. And you know, while it's a bit of a stop-start type routine that I'm in, Monday to Thursday, I'm heads down. Friday to Sunday, I'm disconnected. And I do that on yeah. a on a vacation level as well. And it's unbelievable. So Eric Church, who's our president, is away in Jamaica right now with his family for spring break. He's gone dark. He's disconnected. Now, this is a guy that used to be plugged in 24-7 to everything because he just he's addicted to in a good way the the life of building a business. But we try and empower mm-hmm. our people at all levels when they go on vacation take the time to unplug. And it's a a discipline that you need to work at or sometimes have some little hacks like I do to make it a reality. Absolutely. So I want you to talk to the person that's listening to this, who hears that, who goes, okay, let me wrap my head around this. You run this big business. Your days, I mean, you've got a great model for how you organize your weeks. Monday out of the office, I'm hearing thinking and strategy. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, meetings, connectings, doing the, doing the major priorities that drive the business. Friday, not working, and then no email. I didn't hear a lot of time for checking email. What's the mindset you had to begin adopting to realize that everything truly doesn't matter equally? Yeah, I met a, an entrepreneur maybe 15 years ago who took Fridays off. And he talked about all the benefits of having a Thursday night sit-down sushi on the floor of his living room with his wife and debriefing on the week. And then the Friday, completely disconnected, being free to go play tennis, ski, whatever he wanted to do, hang with his kids. And I just saw that and I said, wow, that, that just makes huge sense. So I started experimenting with it. And my assistant at the time, I remember saying, do you think I could do what John does? She's like, of course you can. Just take the day. I'm booking you off. You're not in here on Fridays. And so you you just start and you realize how good it feels. But I think in today's world of smartphones, it does take some work to say, I can be out of the office, but I'm still connected. Is that cheating? Yeah, I I think it is. Uh, Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach, he runs a program where he talks about having these free days and recharging. And on a free day, you don't read business magazines. You don't listen to business podcasts. You're free of business doing other things. And what it's done to me is it's given me a set of balance, some hobbies, some things to do that I realize I've got passions outside of work. Because my 20-year-old or mid-20s, mid-30s, Brian, was I am so addicted to the success, to this growth, to this feeling of building a business 
I didn't have anything else to talk about with people. But now mm. I, I learn languages, I cook food, I ski, I, I do things that are outside of what I used to do. And I uh, enjoy the balance of living a great life. You know, something I say in, in my book is I close it by saying there's a massive difference between making a living and making a life. And I think in Canada and the United States as North Americans, we sometimes get way too focused on the living part. We're making a living and we lose ourselves and forget about the life we want to build. So, mm, I love that. So this is where I want to dive into your journey going from college-age Brian to Brian now, who I'm hearing does a really great job of striking this counterbalance. What are some of the biggest failures that you had to go through on your journey to what life look like looks like today? Yeah, you know, so many failures. Where do I start? I think the the first failure that I really highlight in the book, which was a big one and a painful one for me, is I, I had 11 employees. We were half a million in revenue, five years into the business, five trucks. And I looked at my business and I said, I'm not having fun. I'm just not enjoying what I'm mm. building. It didn't remind me any longer of what my grandparents were building with their army surplus store, the smiling faces of customers and employees alike. And so I said, I got to do something. And it was pretty drastic. After some reflection, I brought in 11 people, sat them down in a room. And I said, guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've let you down. I haven't found the right people or trained you properly or given you the love and support that you need to be successful. And we're going to part ways. They say one bad apple spoils a whole bunch. I had nine. And I thought, I, I, the, my only option here is to completely rip off the Band-Aid, get rid of everybody and start again. And I did that. And when I say it was mm. a painful decision, it's going from five trucks down to one, having nobody there even in that one truck to assist you hauling junk and having to rebuild and rehire was a tough thing. But what it taught me, and this is where failure to me is a gift. You make a mistake. You look at that mistake, you reflect, and you say, what can I learn from that tough moment that will make me better? And it, it to this day, is something we talk about in our office, the head office, the junction, is a company is all about people. <laughs> Find the right people and treat them right. So we have this big billboard or, or big uh, poster up on the wall, and it says, it's all about people with my name below it. That's the first thing you see when you walk in the door. Because we decided that that had to be how we always lived our lives in this business. Mm. I heard a great quote, and I wish I could remember who said it so I could give them attribution. But they said, your values aren't your values unless they cost you something. Mm. I love that idea that it, it, it all starts with, with people. Yet, when has that been challenged? When did it actually cost you something to live your values? Yeah. So it's interesting. I had those 11 employees. They didn't fit my values. They weren't the honest, hardworking, clean-cut professionals that I wanted to be playing with. And so I had to let them all go. And, and what that cost me was almost losing my business, mm. losing a sense of confidence of, I, I can't get this right. What am I doing? And it really cost me uh, you know, a period of, of health there. I mean, you know, one thing that's interesting is as an entrepreneur who works hard, plays hard, I still get moments of reality where I'm like, I can't get out of bed, right? You know, you have a depressed, mm. depressed day, whatever it is. 
And I remember during that period, it was really, really hard to get out of bed, to keep moving and keep going. I mean, it cost me my my mental health for a period there because I just took on too much. But I had to make the right decision for my values. We talked years later that we were going to build the FedEx of junk removal. Clean, shiny trucks, friendly, uniform drivers, on-time service, upfront rates. I couldn't have built that with that team. And I needed to learn the leadership lesson of how to find and lead great people. So I needed to find Mm -hmm. the great people first. And then I needed to lead them in a way that would inspire. And I started to learn years later, and certainly stories around that, but painting a picture, having a vision for how to... uh, give these people a direction of where we were all headed. Well, dive into that a little bit because this is something that when we've been doing training, we've realized is a huge, huge opportunity for people, mm-hmm. especially in your world, the franchise world. These people are starting a business. They're running through walls, taking action, just trying to build the business. They're working in the business. They have a lot of jobs and they struggle to actually cast that vision. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you to slow down and actually have time blocked so that you are clear on where you're going? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So I I know that your book, when we talk about one thing, you don't necessarily mean it this way, but I'm going to give an example uh, of if I think of the one thing in my life that I feel like I figured out, that's become a gift, that's become a tool for me to get to a place I want to go in my life. The one thing I figured out is how to create a vision, how to create what I call a, a painted picture. And here's the story. So it was, I was a million in revenue. I had uh, just joined the entrepreneur organization. That became the way I would learn from others. As someone who didn't finish high school and didn't finish college, I still wanted to learn. I was going to learn from other entrepreneurs and it was through the entrepreneur organization. Something that started to happen when I joined, a bit of a mistake, I I don't recommend people doing this, was I compared myself to others. And I think Mm. we often do do that where I said, look at my little million dollar business. There's people that have companies they're taking public. There's people surrounding me that have much bigger, more glamorous businesses than junk removal. Can I, can I do this? Do I even want to do this? So I was in a bit of a doom loop, a bit of a funk. I went to my parents' summer cottage. They had this little cabin on the water about an hour from home. And I was sitting down on this nice sunny summer day, eight years into the business. And I pulled out a sheet of paper. And I said, okay, Brian, you're an optimistic guy. Stop thinking of all this doom. Start thinking of pure possibility. Open my mind and imagination to what could be. So I take out the sheet of paper, one page filled up, double-sided, and it started with the sentence, we will be in the top 30 metros in North America by the end of 2003. So that was a five-year vision statement. I said we'd be the FedEx of junk removal, we'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show, we'd have all these great things happen, and I described our culture and our people and our clean, shiny trucks and so on. And sure enough, after I read this two-page document, I started to get goosebumps I started to see pure possibility. I was immediately out of my funk because I saw a vision that I knew was going to happen. And interestingly, when I look back at some of the language that was in that document, I didn't say, I hope to be, want to be, will try and be in the top 30 metros. I said, we will be. And that document, I started to share it with everybody around me. And with employees, it was interesting. It did one of two things. It took part of the group 
and put them in this one camp of, whoa, Brian, you're smoking some hope dope here. This isn't ever going to happen. <laughs> With another group who said, wow, this is compelling. This is really exciting. I want to be part of the team that makes this happen. And those people stayed and we ended up building it together. So mm-hmm. vision, if I think of, we were at 28 of 30 metros, 90 days out from the painted picture being a reality. And I had this guy, Lori, come to me in the office and he said, we're only 28. What are we going to do? Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, how are we going to fill those final two cities? And off we went with a plan and PR and we made them happen 16 days before the painted picture. But the Oprah Winfrey show, I was there I was on Harpo's stage. I mean, all these things happened. Did I crystal ball the future? Sort of. I put my vision from my head down into writing and people surrounded me who said, I see what you see. Let's go make this happen. Mm, like magic. It's, uh, yeah, I got a I got a text from a guy in our community. His name's Tim Beverlin. He came to our our couple's goal setting retreat this last year, and part of the goal setting process is going way way out. And in that, imagine what vision, what your life looks like someday from now, five years from now. You work it backwards, and he had he shared in his text message he had set some things out that. He's never even really thought about. He didn't think they would necessarily be possible. And he thought maybe, maybe if things went well, five years from now it would happen. Mm-hmm. And he texted me to say that two of the major five-year goals had happened within the first 12 months. Mm-hmm. And it was just because when you suddenly have that clarity of vision, you surround yourself with the right people, your priorities line up, you start focusing on those things and the dominoes just start falling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think part of it, you know, I I think that vision can sound a little airy fairy and a little sort of out there law of attraction. But I also do believe that there's some science behind it. They hear people talk about your reticular activating system. You're in an airport, you're stressed, you're busy, you're in a rush, but you still hear your name being called over the white courtesy phone. Or you're going to buy a new car and you suddenly start to see that car everywhere. Your mind scientifically knows how to pay attention to what's important to you for survival, Mm. for what you want to make happen in your life. If you put it down in writing and you've read it many times and it's top of mind, or even better yet, it's top of mind in your people or your team's minds, people start making decisions that will get them closer to that painted picture. So it's no accident. You pay attention to what matters and you go make it happen. You know, if if the, the painted picture, you know, one last thing I'll throw out is if any of your listeners want to see our painted picture. As I said, it's the one thing I think I figured out that I'm so passionate about sharing with others. If anyone wants to see our painted picture, if they were to go to at Brian Scudamore on Instagram and send me a, a, a DM and just say, you know, painted picture, please, or whatever, I'll, I'll fire one off because it's, it's something that I feel has made such a difference in my life that if it can help even one other person, you know, I know Cameron Harold, you mentioned is uh, a good yep. friend of yours and he's all about that painted picture or he calls it a vivid vision. It's such powerful stuff that I'd love to share. And and we'll link to to Brian's Instagram in the in the notes below this episode. So you'll all see it down there in the in the description. So, so Brian, I'm looking at I'm looking at the cover of your book and mm-hmm. I see willing to fail, how failure can be your key to success. Mm-hmm. How has failure been the key to yours? Well, it's interesting. So maybe I'll I'll start with a story of Roy H. Williams, fondly known as the Wizard of Ads. He does all our radio creative. And he was the one that got me to write the book. He's my co-author, but he said, Brian, we got to do this. You have to tell your stories. And so we get together, we start putting the book together. And I and I was really focused on titles. And Roy said, Don't worry about a title. 
get the book done. We're going to close the cover and we're going to say, what title should it be now that the, the book's been written? And uh, it'll, it'll hmm. just pop out to us. And sure enough, he was absolutely right. And this WTF willing to fail theme popped out because we were looking at the stories and going, wow, look at the roller coaster of ups and downs, ups and downs. Every time I took a dip, I learned something from it, got back up and went to an even higher level. So for me, my entire life, I think I've been able to understand that, and I didn't realize this 20 years ago, but I realized it after writing the book, that there's been so many points of failure, but they had to happen for me to get to a better place. When people walk through the junction and they see our head office and the smiling faces and no private offices for anyone, not myself, and they go, wow, this culture is special. That wouldn't have happened hadn't I got rid of those 11 employees and started again. We wouldn't be the company we are today, over $400 million in revenue with four brands, if I hadn't got rid of, gotten rid of my second COO that almost bankrupted the company together with me. I learned so much from my leadership failure of having brought on an ex-Starbucks president into my little company. I felt like I hit the jackpot. We were going to grow like crazy, but quite the opposite. We fell by $40 million in revenue. We had to lay off 52 people. We had all this bleeding around the business, and it was a negative place to be based on one person with a different vision and different direction. Now, that person's in a much better place now, better place for them. They were the wrong fit for me. And again, what a big failure. My franchise partners were saying, hey, Brian, you are failing so hard here right now. We need a leader to run the company. It isn't you. You need to go find one. And uh, that failure led me to really understanding myself and what I needed for the right leader to co-lead with me. But I found Eric Church, mm-hmm. our COO, who's been with us for seven and a half years, and we've quadrupled the company since he's been here. Again, failure needed to happen. It was it was a gift. And uh, it, it's, it's powerful stuff. You know, I'll, I'll fail again sometime. It could be later today. But in those moments of failure, I forever now will take out a sheet of paper and go, what's one thing that can come that's a blessing or a great opportunity from the seemingly bad decision mm. or, or tough time? And it's, it's never let me down. For you who's listening to this, I would just encourage you to think of something that's happened in your life recently that you viewed as a failure or major setback or adversity where in the moment there was just such a negative connotation. And ask the question, what's one thing you actually learned? What's one way that it actually made you stronger, made you better? And in that, can you find the gratitude? Mm-hmm. Have you read Ray Dalio's book, Principles? I have it. <laughs> I've, I've skimmed through little bits and pieces Not, here and there. I've heard him speak at, uh, at TED. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that stood out to me most is that... Um, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, you know, success is, is learning to struggle well. Mm-hmm. When you think about Olympic gold medalists, if if Michael Phelps jumped into the pool for the first time, swam across with little floaties on, and somebody handed him a gold medal, it wouldn't be worth very much. But it was the seven days a week, hours every single day, over years of training, that he eventually won that first gold medal that made it worth so much. 100%. And so I just I, what what I love about what you're talking about in your book is just all this adversity that's so easy to um, perceive as a negative. It, it's actually what brings value. 
Yeah, you know, I'm a big believer, and I talk about this in the the close of the book, that if we were to taste success without the hard work, without the failures, it would feel like a hollow victory. To me, mm-hmm. the success that I'm proud of, that I want others to feel proud of, is the stories, the riveting stories of longing and regret, of disappointment, of refusing to give up when giving up at a time seemed like the best option available but you didn't give up. I mean, that's the success that I want to be a part of. Like you said with Michael mm-hmm. Phelps, you know, he, he's earned that. The sweat and tears that have gone into those gold medals, that's the the stuff that you, you, you go, wow, you know, I am making a great life here, not just a living. Yeah, I love that. I love that. For the person who's listening to this, who's a leader inside an organization or they run their own business, uh, so much of my fascination has been how we take the one thing and spread it throughout organizations. I'm curious, what does it look like for you to teach your franchisees to live a life of counterbalance so that they're not just grinding and hustling all the time, but they are building a life versus a living? Yeah, so we do. I think the direction we try and give both our franchise owners and people inside the head office in terms of living a great life is we try and inspire them to have a list of what we call 101 life goals. So Mm -hmm. we have every person that joins the organization, we try and get them to sit down for 20 minutes, sheet of paper, and just write what comes straight off top of your head, straight from your heart, the 101 or up to 101 things that you want to do in life. And then start looking at that list, almost like your painted picture of things that you want to do. How can you make those happen? And so it becomes a way for us to encourage and reward people in the company where we'll say, how can we help you go find one of your 101 life goals and make it happen? How can we do it together? How can we help the business make that dream come true? You know, So here's an example. I've got James Alish, who's our managing director of Wow One Day Painting. And at Christmas with the leadership team, I I send thank you cards and a bottle of wine. And I I say, you know, I'd love to help you accomplish one of your 101 life goals this year. Here's three that I've seen on your list that might be fun to either do together or help make happen. So one of James's was to go to the Masters in Augusta. And uh, just happens to be after I give him that card that a week later, I get an email from a vendor of ours that says, oh, Brian. We'd love to take you out, take you to the Masters. We'd have a great time, this and that. And I said, you know what? I'm not a golf fan, but you know who is? And I said, how would you feel about taking James, our managing director? They're like, done. And so James gets to, doesn't cost us any money, doesn't cost him anything. He gets to accomplish a 101 life goal because we were aware of a goal that was important to him. And so helping people live a great life is first understanding what does a great life look like? We have this book called the 100, it's the first of many 101 life goal book. It's an internal culture book, big sort of Mm. Apple book that is full glossy, beautifully designed. It's 101 different people, each accomplishing a life goal, whether it was swimming with the sharks, whether it was hiking Machu Picchu, whether it was learning to cook dim sum with their their family, whatever the little goal or big goal is, it's something meaningful. And again, it's helping people identify what is a great life and then how do you help them make those things happen. That is so cool. I love that. Considering everything that you have discovered along your journey, 
I want you to talk to the person who's listening to this who's going, okay, I've got a big vision for my life. It scares me. I'm not sure if I'm going to get there. Maybe they're struggling right now. They're working too many hours. They're always connected. What's the one thing they can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? I think, I think I'd have to go back to vision. It would be writing down on one sheet what your future vision looks like. What is that life mm. you want to create? Now, when I heard you say, Jeff, you know, they're scared. They don't know if they can do it. To me, that's not a vision that they've created because they don't buy into their own vision. It, it might cause mm. some anxiety and some, some unease, but they have to go, no, no, I see this. I know this will happen. And they need to really believe in themselves. Now, when someone creates a vision, when I've done my own visions, the one thing I don't do is I don't think how, of how I'm going to get there. I don't try and answer mm. the question, so great, Oprah Winfrey show and top 30 metros. How am I going to do that? I don't have the money. I'm not sure the idea is going to work. I'm not sure I'm a great leader. Instead of thinking of all the things that can bring that vision down and lower the bar, I just think of, and I imagine, pure possibility then I start to look at it at a later date and I think, hmm, how are we going to make Oprah happen? How are we going to pitch? How long will it take? Who's going to do it? And you start to create that plan and, and, and make the vision reality and start taking little steps. But you never, ever, ever think of how while you're creating the vision. So my, my one thing is, please, people that are listening, go create that vision and look at it and go, yes, I see it. I buy into it. And then off you go to make magic happen to get to make it a reality. Yeah, well, here, here's what I love about what you said. Gary Keller said that the purpose of a goal is not to achieve a result. It's to be appropriate in the moment. It's to inform how you need to behave today to be aligned with that goal or that vision. And when you set goals, you should set them so big that you're not even sure that they're possible because it just stretches you to think bigger. You know, our goals, our vision is the thing that's way out there that may, we don't understand the how yet. Yet when we identify our priorities, the things that we time block, those are the activities that we must accomplish that would put us in alignment. So right. I'm, I'm just loving what you're saying. Cast a vision. Don't worry about the how. Fall in love with it. Then we get to ask questions like, what's the one thing I can do? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary when it comes to achieving that one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know what's neat? What you just said there that really resonates is fall in love with it. So Cameron Harold, you mentioned before, a great mm -hmm. friend, was our COO from 2 million to 106 million. And I remember Cameron used to say, Brian's the vision guy. I can't think about vision. And I'd say, no, that's, <laughs> Sounds that's like nonsense. Sounds exactly how he would say it. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, that, that's nonsense. Of course you can think about vision. So what's interesting is I said to Cameron, you can think about vision. I said, let's work through a little exercise here. And I said, imagine you're on a vacation. You can take a vacation anywhere on the planet. Money is not an object. There's no barriers. Where would you go? And I really wish I remember his answer. I don't. But he started to think through... <laughs> This tropical vacation with a nice corona in his hand, the palm trees swaying, the, the sound of the birds chirping, the water splashing beside the ocean. You know, he created this detail because I kept asking him questions. What does it look like? What does it sound like? Who are you with? What are you drinking? He created this picture in his mind 
that he fell in love with. And so when you say, Jeff, you know, you've got to fall in love with it, that resonates with me. You create a picture, you get a buddy, a partner to ask you questions, to get you diving deeper so that you've got this picture created in full technicolor in your brain. You will then go out and start to make decisions towards making that happen. And it, it, it really is, you know, I, again, I say it's like magic. I was with, uh, I had lunch with, we, we have a new employee lunch every time we have two, 10 new employees in the, in the business, which is quite frequently now. And I was out with one woman sitting around the table of 10 and we were talking about 101 life goals. And one of her goals was to go to Europe. I said, Europe, like where? She goes, I just want to go to Europe. I'm like, no, 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 that's not good enough. Give me a place. She goes, well, France. Well, where in France? Paris. Why? What are you eating? What are you doing? And the more you ask questions, people start to see in their brain themselves there eating that croissant, drinking that Americano, that cafe au lait, and just living life in Paris. You've got to attach to and fall in love with your vision. Otherwise, it will never, ever happen. Yeah, I love that. Well, Brian, where can people get a copy of the book? Where can they learn more about you? Largest bookstore on the planet. Go to Amazon. I I think that's the easiest <laughs> way. If you're if you're an ebook reader reader, I think they've uh, put the book at only three bucks for the Kindle. But you know they've also got the hardcover. I love sharing stories of things we've learned along the way, and when I get feedback from people who've read the book, it's always fun to hear what resonated. So they can check out the book and then send me a note on social media. I'd love to hear what you what you think. Yeah, and the, and the book again is WTF: Willing to Fail. How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success. Brian, thank you so much for the time, my friend. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. You made this a lot of fun and you've got great energy. So it was fun being a part of your show. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Brian Scudamore, author of Willing to Fail, How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success and CEO of O2E Brands. Folks, let's talk about putting this into action. The, the things that really stand out here are first and foremost, casting a vision. You heard him say it, it's, it's the lead domino. And what we have discovered working with individuals, teams, and organizations is sometimes it's really tough to slow down to cast that vision. And sometimes when you do actually stop just running through walls and you ask the question like, what is it that I actually want out of life? You pretty quickly hit a wall of... I don't know. How do you push past that wall? When you ask the big questions, what's one thing you can do so that you actually go beyond just a limitation and actually discover what currently just seems a little vague? There are two resources that we will point you to here. Um, first around this is when you go to the one thing.com and click on the training page, that's what the one that's the one thing with the number one in the URL. I would encourage you to go to the master course section and check out the goal setting retreat course. The reason we would suggest this is because from your home, you can have a full retreat facilitated where you actually cast a vision for your life. We teach you the questions to ask yourself. We teach you how to push past that wall of I don't know. And then once you have that vision, we help you walk it back to five-year goals, to one-year goals. And then we help you put the, the specific tools of the one thing into action. So every single week, you are clear on the handful of priorities. We're talking three to five things that you actually can do 
so that you're absolutely in alignment with your someday vision. People are great at setting goals. They're pretty lousy at having a relationship with them, though. They're not great at understanding how they must behave today to be appropriate in the moment. You'll learn that there. And for those of you who are more of the I want to meet in person type, check out the events. We do two a year. Uh, one's the mid-year reset and one's the, the goal setting retreat in November. Check those out because both are aligned with this as well. The second thing, if, if you already have your vision yet you struggle on identifying your one thing so that you are aligned with your vision every single day, I would encourage you to check out the One Thing membership. At the top of the, of the training page, you'll see a, a button where you can learn more about it. I check that out because this is all about having a relationship with your goals. This is a community of high achievers where together we're going on that journey to not only setting the big goals and casting the vision, but having that true relationship so that we understand when we've fallen behind, how we make up the gap. We provide you with the training that you need. We provide you with the tools you need and the ongoing support. It's a great place to begin if you're wanting to put the one thing to work for yourself, your team, or your organization. One thing we'd encourage you to do before we wrap this episode up is do a little reflection. If we were to follow you around with a camera and document your every move, what would we see you doing throughout the work week? What do your Mondays look like? How about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What do your Fridays look like? If we had the pleasure of spending a weekend with you, what would we see you doing? Are you making a living or are you making a life? Are you living a life by default or are you living a life by design? I love what Brian said about in his 20s and 30s, he was just so addicted to building the business. He didn't really have hobbies outside yet. Suddenly he realized that he needed time away from the business. He needed that counterbalance for him to grow personally, for him to be show up better in his professional world. We hope that you are the type of person who won't just listen to this and start listening to the next episode or go on with your day, but that you'll actually take a moment and really analyze, how am I doing? How am I doing when it comes to living that counterbalance? Am I being appropriate in the moment? Based on that, what's the one thing you can do? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. If this episode has brought value to you, please share it with five people. Text it to them, email it to them. Share these ideas so that you can help them change the way that they view things. And if you're one of the people that somebody shared this with you, please click that subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It means the world to us. We read every single one and it helps us reach more people. Thanks so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.